Rick and Paul. I'm Rick Cushman. And I'm Paul Wagner. Paul, today we have proof positive, proof positive, my friend, that <laughs> experienced wine tasters can actually taste differences in wine. Really? Okay. What kind of proof you got? It comes from, and you're going to love this, the 2017 Cambridge versus Oxford Varsity Blind Tasting Match. Varsity. So there's a varsity blind tasting match. Is there a junior varsity, Rick? Yeah, they taste milkshakes. That's what they do. I, yeah. 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 Well, uh, we'll talk about that more also today. Listeners ask for some tips for enjoying wine festivals and about how to chill wine really fast and where to cut the foil on a wine bottle. Mm-hmm. Plus, our horrible wine writing shows how to make the rest of us feel like idiots. Rick, we are idiots. Right. Our horrible wine writing shows how to make <laughs> other people feel like idiots when, who don't deserve it. <laughs> Plus, as usual, we will make fun of wine stops. And by the way, we are still on Capital Public Radio's podcast lineup. That's the Sacramento NPR station. Actually, we're even in a special category yes, still we are. of Capital Public Radio Recommends. Recommends. You hear that? Recommends. Thank you, Capital <laughs> Public Radio, for your foolishness. We are also on Napa Broadcasting, a network that comes out of Napa Valley College. Paul, they're educators. They should know better. They should know better, but I teach there, so th- I think it's a it's a. So now you, that's two reasons to take it. It's it's, a, no, no, it's I a worry for the school. Professional courtesy. I worry for the school. <laughs> um, all right, so let's go to our Cambridge Oxford blind tasting match. I wonder if they have cheerleaders. Well, um, if they do, I'm sure they're very discreet and elegant. Maybe they wear the sommelier uh, outfit with the black, you know, the little tuxedo sort of. Or, or my my question is. You know, if yes, you have cheerleaders and all the rest, but um, how do you do you get what kind of a block letter do you get on your letterman's jacket if you were on the varsity wine tasting? You get a a little a, actually, it's a wine stain. Why? <laughs> that's perfect. Yeah, that's, a perfect. Yeah. The block O for Oxford, and then spilled yes. red wine all over. Yes. it. Yes, that's just what you need: a Oxford and Oxford Cambridge uh, tasting match. Boy, is that going to kill the notion that wine is snobbish? Wine is not for snobs. <laughs> all That's right. Um, all right. Well, let's uh, we'll make fun of that more in a minute. But here's actually what this is a story in the Economist. Yeah. They are that's they're, they're normal. Yeah, they're a serious magazine. Serious magazine, uh, unlike you and me. And they reported on this, and they they basically ran some numbers and said the tastes were enormously better than what a random tells, test would be. Enormously, so they're not saying this thing. This is proof that people can do this. A couple of things was the tasters have. This is how it works, by the way. Yeah, the teams had seven tasters each plus a reserve. That's in case someone sprains a tongue. Um, <laughs> they taste six reds, or and, their nose got bent out yes. of shape. <laughs> Are, are, are. Good. Uh, <laughs> they taste six reds and six whites. Right. They try to name grape, country of or and country of origin. Grape and where it comes and from. And do they do this as a group so that the group has one answer? Or no, each no, each group, person. Each person. Yes. Okay. So it's, it's really, uh, so you yeah, got it's, six... it's not like Family Feud. Right. <laughs> <laughs> what is this Family Feud of which you speak? <laughs> uh, There's a television critic coming out. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and and uh, you know, so they look at the numbers and they say, look, there's thousands of random options. So it's you know, there's right. because there's so many formulas. Yeah, but I'm going to disagree a little well, bit on this. So right. even then, they're still saying that it's these are a little bit difficult. Uh, so right. as it turns out, 47 percent of the Oxford tasters guessed on right of uh, both of them. Okay. Me, um, taste guessed right on grape variety. Thirty-seven percent were right on country of origin. Right. Right. So you know that's it's you know it's not bad. That's better than random. But I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna suggest something here. I'll bet that I could name right now how many wines were there total? A uh, twelve. Twelve wines. I'll bet that you and I could sit down right now and name ten of those wines. I don't know which one is which, but I'll bet you and I could name ten 
of the varietals they tasted right off the top of our heads. So it's if you're saying it's a blind two that might have surprised you for sure, but yeah, so you're right, twelve, yeah, probably. So you, but so they're at least they're so you, they're you're saying, not they're not working out of a pool of the two thousand different varietals that are grown in Italy. They're picking the ten or twelve most popular varietals in the world, and then they're saying, "Can you tell the difference between them?" Which is a very different thing, right? Well, and let's go sideways just for a moment because that's the us, the, uh, yes. Well, but on the point, so we're going sideways on the point. So sideways we're really just sort point. of. Veering off. We're angling. <laughs> We're not going sideways. So you and I have talked about this a lot in the past, about um, that it is a parlor game in lots of ways. Right. And that even those master psalms that we see on you know, the movie psalm and right. all, they're tasting what we would be consider varietally correct wines. In fact, I am quite sure that the Oxford-Cambridge World Series, or whatever they call it here, I am quite sure that the judges for that competition spend a huge amount of time tasting right. through a bunch of different wines to, to make get sure one they were that's absolutely a perfect example, which means that all the other grapes, may, all the other wines made from that same grape may not taste like that, so that well, defeats the purpose. Well, yes and no. It still makes the point that they could recognize it. I'm saying it's a tautology. If I may, my use, cat couldn't recognize them. If if I may, if I may use a really long word, you say that Cabernet tastes like cassis. Then you taste a bunch of Cabernets until you find one that tastes like cassis. You put the cassis tasting Cabernet in the tasting, and the people who recognize the wine that tastes like cassis is Cabernet win. And that's a rigged system. Paul, what's what's cassis? <laughs> okay, never mind. That's a, that's a long-running joke if it nobody is. We, okay. m- nobody knows what Cassis is really the answer. Well, yes, this is true. It is. But nonetheless, that they, you know, these folks rec- but they recognized were able it to, to some level. The, the lab rats were able to yes, find the and, cheese and in the maze. with some consistency. Um, and right. and they, they weren't all—it wasn't all like they, they did—most of them got the Chardonnay and Gamay, which is a little bit unusual. Right. And those that yeah. recognized Gamay certainly knew the country because it only comes from one place on Earth, which is right. Burgundy. And everybody got Pinot Noir because, of course— of course, it's a much lighter color than just about everything else. Uh, yeah, and and it is a very very recognizable grape. But they also got you know they got Sauv Blanc and Cabernet. The Cabernet was from South Africa, right? So this yeah. is not what which they would think. Which is where they got the country wrong because well, the but they actually Cabernet did can... they did okay on that uh, as yeah. it turns out. They didn't do well with Semillon, Grenache, and Tempranillo, which are not necessarily wild and unusual grapes. No, and uh, so the the point. So what you're saying is that we don't have proof that people could recognize wine. That's right. That's what I'm saying. All right. Well, never and, mind. And, and never mind. All right. Tell well, me. Thanks for actually, listening. No, because Rick, you want to tell me about the history of the competition, and when you do, I'm going to tell you a story that's going to make all of this come. Well, home. I was going to tell you. I was, you're going to tell me a story because I'm I'm tossing it to you to say it was started in 1953 by your friend Harry Waugh. And Harry Waugh famously, at a dinner party, was challenged by a hostess if he ever possibly confused Burgundy with Bordeaux meaning Cabernet with Pinot Noir, and he said, not since lunch, madam. And he was considered to be the greatest palate of his age. So then why did he start this contest? Because he thought it would be fun. And Harry was a guy who didn't mind being wrong. Yeah. Unlike certain wine critics we know who have never been wrong. Never. Yeah. Well, the competition is also legendary for things like politics and gamesmanship and um, no, no surprise, producing wine professionals from masters of wine to really annoying wine writers and tasting. So tasting. so do the wine magazines uh, send their scouts there? That's what I'm thinking. I think yeah, so. They yeah. draft. You know, they, they draft. Yeah. yeah. yeah they do. Is there they, a lottery? They, look, they, they, look, they watch <laughs> the, the magazine, tape. The magazine that has the lowest subscription gets, gets the, the first, first pick. pick yeah. <laughs> yeah. And there was one, there was one taster uh, who really 
knocked the socks off uh, compared to all the others. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, and named almost all the grapes in, in many of the countries. Wow. Um, including including the South Africa. Yeah, um, good. So, uh, you know, the you know, point is that lots and lots of people talk about how there's this all that BS in wine tasting and description. You're yeah. saying this one is. <laughs> yeah, and I'm saying this one kind of is too. Yeah. Well, yeah, you know why? Because you couldn't get on the varsity. <laughs> you were stuck tasting I was stuck it. tasting milkshakes yeah. with the JV team. Yeah, and you probably got the chocolate. And chocolate malt, totally confused. <laughs> I thought it was vanilla. <laughs> that's right. All right. Well, speaking of vanilla, that's us. So uh, we are going to take a take a move over to tra- questions. Thank you for listening to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. It is time to take some questions. If you'd like to ask us a question, uh, we will not make fun of you, just each other, um, <laughs> unless you're a wine writer. <laughs> and go to our website at rickandpaulwine.com. Actually, that's not, not entirely true. We know many wine writers we respect a lot. Um, if you're listening to on our website and that, that you're already at the place, if you're listening to Capital Public Radio, you just click on over and you can find us. All right. Our first one comes from a wine professional mm-hmm. from Michelle in Lake Tahoe. And let me read her entire the context here. She says, I listen to you guys all the time. You make me laugh, think, and learn all at once. It's great. Wow. We should put that on our foreheads. We should tattoo that on yes. our foreheads. I think Michelle probably had a glass of wine before she wrote that. <laughs> she says, I've been a psalm, a psalm at a high-volume restaurant and opened many bottles. Over the past few years, I've changed my habits back and forth. Uh-huh. I'm in a debate with the other sommelier on what is the right way to open the foil of the wine bottle. When you're oh, using okay. a traditional wine screw, which... Which collar level do you begin the foil cut? If you have a clean cut, do you open the foil at the top, you know, that right at the rim, right is what she's saying, or the collar below that part that sticks out, leaving a little less than an inch of clean glass? Well, I happen to have created, along with my dear friend and master sommelier, Tim Gazer, and a video, which you can probably find on YouTube if you search long enough and it, are desperate enough. I've seen it, and it explains why you're missing your pinky. <laughs> <laughs> and it... Tim, in that in that video, explains exactly where you make the cut, and and Michelle should know if she wants to take any of the master sommelier exams. Tim's one of the guys who sits in and judges the exam, so he's gonna he's gonna judge her based on where she cuts the foil, and you cut it just below that second lip, not on the very top of the bottle, but underneath below, the under the, lip. under that under the collar, really. Right. Right. And if you cut it off underneath the collar, it's a little harder to do, and that automatic foil cutter will not work at that on no. that particular level. Although but, somebody, I invent one. Yeah, well, that's something you can do in your free time. But in the meantime, <laughs> cut it off there, and when you pour the wine, <laughs> it will not drip as much. Yes, and, uh, you know, there's... Unlike Rick. <laughs> who drips. <laughs> I, really, I don't... I am what I do. <laughs> you are a drip. Um, yeah, it's right. Exactly right. Uh, you know, there's so the there's a hint, by the way, when you're doing that is you know is that if you angle your um, the blade just a little bit, uh, you you it's easier to get that full cut. Aiming towards your heart. Aiming towards your heart. No, aiming up a little. Bit. Aiming up a little. Bit. Um, yeah. And uh, but. But yeah. I will say this. So there's a difference, of course, in a high-volume restaurant and the presentation at the table and all. That's always good. You know, but for, if you're at home, you know, you get that foil off any way you can. Oh, dear, dear, dear. I, I have, if you're not a sommelier, I if have, you don't have to pass an exam and all you want to do is get the bottle crunch open. Crunch it and pull the darn you know, thing just off. Just crack the edge on the tra- – crack the neck on the edge of the fireplace well, and pour directly into your mouth. Yeah. Right? That, no, I do. I just slam that bottle so I don't even have to worry – Cork and no, it, it's you know it it isn't isn't the foil cutter will do fine. It is about the drips and you don't want the drip. You know it really is not the best thing dripping through your foil and the foil might be dirty and all that kind of fun stuff. But you know sometimes it's 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 more.
more trouble than it's worth too. Um, yes. You can you there are plenty. There's I've seen plenty of people just you know punch the especially like the rabbit and those various things. The they just go right, right through, through the top of the capsule yes. and yank it right out. That doesn't work very well when you don't realize that it's, it's a, a screw, screw cap. cap. <laughs> yes, I've see I've seen that happen. Actually, yes, I did. I did. It, it just the other weekend we had some friends over to, to watch uh, one of the horse races, and uh-huh. uh, very, it was a really good uh, race. Screw, no oh. screw top. It was oh, and and looked just and, like a regular one, bottle. One, one of the guys, and this was we we've been there a while, so we'd probably yeah, had, had a few bottles. Two, but he just couldn't figure out why he couldn't get the foil off. He wasn't actually trying to punch the the uh, the corkscrew, and he was trying to get the foil off. So Michelle, he was trying to do <laughs> what you asked about, and. Yeah. Um, so on, and on the screw top, you don't cut the foil off at all. That's right. And anyways, That's so right. Michelle, there you go. That's your answer. Yeah, lower beneath the collar, lower lip. That's the professional way to do it. When you're at home, you can do whatever you want because it's your house and you get to decide. That's right. All right. Our next one is from Stuart in San Diego. And um, in fact, I knew this question was up, which is why I was thinking about those shows because he I see. he okay. had says I've been watching reruns of the TV show. Uncorked. Yep. Uh, I've watched two episodes. I'm not sure why. And didn't realize, <laughs> didn't recognize one single wine they were talking about. What yeah. the heck? Don't people trying to be big deal sommeliers ever taste wines the rest of us drink? So a very quick background on that show in case somebody doesn't realize it. It was a, a network show. They ran one season and maybe another one back about six people in New York trying to pass their master sommelier tests. Right. So it follows them through their excruciatingly right. painful days. And and I have, you know, I was not a television critic, but I still wrote about it. I had finished being TV critic, but I still wrote about it for one of my wine columns. And I talked about it. I just thought that kind of show was horrible because it made it look like there were so many things you can do wrong. Right in wine, bit you know, right. it was like well, these guys were just. If you're trying to be a master sommelier, there are a lot of things you can do wrong. So fair enough on that. But but it was joyless. Uh, yeah, the problem is that's that was a joyless. bigger issue. It yeah. was joyless. But to his question, and uh, forgive me, but I'm going to raise the point here that we raised earlier with Cambridge versus Oxford. The problem is the master sommelier exam. They don't just taste Cabernet and Pinot Noir. They taste all this other stuff. And most people, when they get to the level of studying for their exams for the master sommelier. They pretty much figure they've got the Oxford, Cambridge, Junior or Varsity wine tasting down. They can pick out Pinot Noir and Cabernet and Merlot and Chardonnay. What they've got to figure out is how to taste all this other stuff and talk about it. And that's why the show focused on those things. The other thing is makes a much better story. It makes these guys seem much more um, what um, arcane. Um, to be digging into these really unusual grapes. If they just had them tasting Cabernet all day long, the people who watching the show would say, oh, come on, it can't be. How hard can it be? It's well, all Cabernet. Well, the other part of it was, having watched some of that show, uh, is that it's not just the shows that the wines they're tasting. It's also the stuff they're drinking. Right. Oh, and yeah. so, you know, and part of it's still part of that. It's the part, the things that I don't like about that whole world, which is it, it is sort of the joylessness unless they can find a wine that none of them had ever heard of before or See, something one the, that. One of the yeah. questions I ask in my class about the history and culture of wine is one of the questions on the final exam is wine appreciation more like sex or more like stamp collecting? And it's. Uh, I've, I've, I could do this stamp collecting sex joke, but I'm, but I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going <laughs> to. No, but the point is that that element of real rarity, ooh, nobody's ever had this before and I found something that nobody else has, yeah. makes it seem good even when it's not so good. Yes. 
Exactly right. And yet it's funny that every student who's ever answered that question starts out answering it one way and halfway through the the essay they say, and yet. And then they start answering it the other way because it's both. Part of the fun of wine is finding something new and different and interesting. Yeah, and and you know, and not to not to disparage this notion of you know earning your letters and taking these classes and studying and doing all this stuff. Uh, and there's a lot of different places to go, but I, I sort of argue that if you watch these shows, it will completely discourage you for even yeah. thinking about it. Yeah. And and the problem is is that it of all things, wine shouldn't be about taking a test. Right. Why should be wine should be right. about getting that foil off any way that works for you and Having drinking fun. wine you like and enjoying it and then if you want and to talk sharing about it, it with someone you and, love. Yeah, and not then, unlike and, stamp collecting. And then making them a yes. <laughs> and then making them identify I uh, know that's <laughs> no, 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 that's a different all right. Yeah. all right. We have more questions. Uh so but the answer was uh, yeah, basically that part of it is is for the story, part of it because that's what they drink, part of it is because if you're a big deal sommelier, you can't be seen drinking a Napa Valley Cabernet for gosh sakes. Or Everybody can find one Bordeaux, of those. Or, yeah, yeah, or a Bordeaux or a Burgundy, right. something everybody can find because that would just make you so common. Yes. Unlike the Oxford uh, We're Cambridge common. folks. Well, we couldn't get into Oxford or Cambridge. No, we couldn't. I, I could barely get into a junior college. Uh, but I bet I, I bet I could wear one of their Letterman sweaters. Oh, I could wear the stain. That's for sure. <laughs> All right. Uh, enough of diddling with questions. We have some really horrible wine writing coming right Excellent. Up. Now, that's fun. That's fun. All right. So, Paul, what do you got? Okay. So, I'm going to make fun of all of those wine articles that start out about the things you have to do. Oh, right? Yeah. The best 25 rosé wines. When I, when I talk to my wife, the, all of our conversations start that way. <laughs> start with what you have to do. The best 25 wines you need to drink this summer. Right. right. Or right. the white wine you should be drinking. Oh. And, you know, um, wine is not a test. Wine is not a catechism. You don't go to hell if you drink the wrong wine. Wine is just about enjoying yourself. And telling people that they have to do something or they should be doing something because it's really what everyone cool is doing is kind of the wrong message, if you don't mind me saying so. I completely agree. Uh, In fact— Speaking of hell, it's kind of hellish to have to read these things over and over. And I'm sure they think they're selling you on on this idea, but it's uh, you know how about this? Here, you know, twenty wines you'll really like. What's wrong with that? Yeah. What's wrong with instead of saying you need to drink these? What's wrong with saying here's twenty five wines I really love, and let me try to get you excited about each one of the twenty five. Right. You know, we, we without telling you, you're an idiot, and you're going to hell if you don't drink them. Uh, I get that first part a lot, just about the idiot and going to hell, but that's, that's a whole different thing. I remember we had a show uh, a few episodes back now about uh, the the thing you need to know, which was dirt. You need to know the, dirt. You're the new must you know. Need, that's right. You, now you need to know yeah, dirt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you know dirt? I, I, I Well, I know that it is that stuff down there on the bottom of my shoe. Yes, and that I, that's I'm dirt. not supposed to bring. It. <laughs> yes, either way, I'm not supposed to bring it in the house. Yes. All right, this is we've actually really okay. we, we are getting in. A, uh, well, I'm, I'm reading my um, uh, the, my description that I'm about to read, and I'm, I'm about to say we're getting in some low toned uh, okay. areas here. But so what have you let got? me read my descriptor. Good. I, I love this because there's a whole bunch of 
uh, really goofy things in here. Slightly high-toned aromas. Uh, what well, they're actually what they are, are the things that we just hate. Slightly high-toned aromas of blackberry cassis. Also, lots of things. Blackberry cassis, licorice, minerals, bitter chocolate, espresso on coffee grounds, plus a hint of adhesive tape that dissipated with air. High-pitched crushed berry fruit <laughs> shows an herbal pungency, uh, pungency, but I find this lacking in generosity. The rather grinny <laughs> finish betrays a note of pe- peppery bitterness. Easy for you to say. With its green streak, this is unlikely to improve with more time in the cellar, but if you own a bottle or two, I would still wait a few years. Boy, that first of all, why are we writing about that wine? With 130,000 right. wines that you can go out and have a good time with, why do you guy pick doesn't this like one? it. Yeah. And, 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 and what are high-toned aromas? Well, that's what I, I – and he's got eight of them, though. Because, Rick, I've, I've had people tell me that you have a high aroma, but I don't think that meant high-toned. No, the pungency actually plays the pungency, in on that case. Yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. He also has the high-pitched crush berry, and, yes. and, and uh, it's lacking in generosity. Yes, well. That wine will not tip. In fact, it'll make you pay for your own glass. It does. Well, or maybe. And I, I always want to know if it's high-toned aromas of minerals. I want to know which minerals. Well, I, I, yeah, are maybe zinc. Maybe the tones sing. Is it zinc or titanium? Um, those are medium tones. See, oh, get, are they? Get, what yeah. are the high tones? Well, yeah. Now you're getting me to think of like a little triangle made of steel. Yes. Yeah, that's metal. That See, it's a, the thin metal. Thin metal. Right. Okay. Anyway, there's okay. some, there's some really bad stuff. We do have uh, time for another question or so. Uh, so this is from uh, Jason in Sacramento. Is there a best way to get a bottle of wine cold? How about when you need it cold fast? And does it hurt the wine to get it too cold? Uh, sort of. Obviously, if you freeze the wine, as we all learned in college, if you freeze an alcoholic beverage, the water will freeze before the alcohol will freeze. And if you put wine in a plastic bag and freeze it, the water will turn to ice, the alcohol will not turn to ice, and you can pour the alcohol off and have a much higher proof liquid to drink should you so desire. Is that what he's asking about? I don't think no, that's No, I think he just asking. wants to get a bottle of wine cold <laughs> fast and does he have to worry? So the, here's, the, the, here's the weird part is the most difficult part of the bottle to get cold is the glass. So standard philosophy, Rick's famous 15-minute rule, 15-minute rule is to throw the bottle in the fridge for 15 minutes if it's a white wine and pull it out and it's ready to drink or the freezer. Now, what happens is the bottle gets cold. The wine inside may not get quite so cold. So technically, technically, Jason, if you really want to be a total geek about this, take the wine out of the bottle, pour it into a baggie, <laughs> put the baggie in the freezer. It will cool down much quicker. Yes, but if you if you don't really want to go through that rigmarole, you have two really good options. One is your freezer. The other is especially if you're outdoor, an ice bucket with water in it. Because yeah. the water actually conducts the, the cold, the cold better. better than so just plain that's, ice. That's, the, that's really the way that what pros do, especially when they have to, to pour well, events I, and things I like that. I pour it into a baggie and put it in yeah, the Yeah, but freezer. you don't put it back in the bottle. You just punch a hole in the baggie. I've seen that. It's, <laughs> and, you know, you hold it over your head and it's yeah. beautiful. It's, it's a beautiful good, thing. It's a good, good way to run it. All right. And then one more. This is from Courtney in Antioch. And she says, there are a lot of wine tasting and festivals. Do you have any advice about how to actually learn something from them? I know what you're going to say. Okay. You can say spit. Well, that's something, yes. But you learn that whether you want to or not. Because about the second hour of the wine festival, you realized Paul was right. I should have been spitting. I would say go through and start with some kind of a plan. Pick a wine, a a, a grape varietal. Pick a region. 
go all reds, go all whites, whatever you do, try to go in with a system and don't try to taste everything. Just try to taste a, a snippet, a portion of those that put a group of wines in context. Right. That's a great that, way to learn. That's what I would say. If you have the opportunity to, to group your wines, whether it's taste all their, you know, the, the whites or the Cabernets or the Zins, right. or the Syrahs, or if it's a group of wines from one region or a group of right. wineries from another region. Yep, so, that's you know, fun. Uh, so that you learn, it's a good way to learn something about it. I would also suggest spitting or not spitting, try to do your learning early. <laughs> because uh, you're going to you're going to forget to learn as times go on. <laughs> what? Yes. That's, well, we, as you can tell from us, we've stopped learning long ago. And that is it for another round of Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. Our producer is Matt Bassini. Thank you, Matt. Thank, Thank you, Matt. Thanks to Capital Public Radio for the studio use and for including us on their podcast lineup. Thanks to Napa Broadcasting for let us, letting us darken their lineup as well. And if you'd like to ask us a question, don't forget, go to rickandpaulwine.com. That's all one word, Rick and Paul Wine. And if you learned anything today, we hope it's this. Varsity wine tasting is the sport with no risk of knee injury. <laughs> I'm Rick Cushman. I'm Paul Wagner. Remember, the best wines you drink are with friends. Or with us. Especially us. Especially us.